Hey, out there in Pilates Elephants Land, Raf here. Hey, uh, I'm just about to play you a conversation I just had with Natalie Wilson called Are We All Pilates Cows? Now, in this episode, I referred to uh, someone I follow on social media uh, multiple times, and I embarrassingly got her name wrong. Uh, so I referred to Tiffany Cruikshank. Um, it was actually, I was thinking of Tiffany Burke, Poison Strength Pilates. Now, I actually conflated her with someone else I follow on social media, Tiffany Cruikshank, who's a yoga person. Uh, but uh, I'm thinking of Tiffany, when I say Tiffany Cruikshank in this episode, I mean Tiffany Burke, Poison Strength Pilates, who I think is awesome. And uh, big shout out, Tiffany. Sorry, I totally masked your name. Um, but I love you and I think you're doing great work. Okay, on with the episode. <laughs> Hey, Natalie. Hi, Raf. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you. It's been a long time since we've had face-to-face. It is, and it has, and it, I'm enjoying our conversation so far, and I'm looking forward to uh, to having this discussion with you. So um, we're going to talk about, well, really, let's, let's decide what we're going to what this episode is going to be called because I did an I recorded an episode uh, quite recently called Is Legree Pilates, and um, then you know we we were sort of chatting on Slack and and we came across or you actually shared this podcast episode with me um, by the Pilates Goddess, which sort of inspired both of our thinking on this topic, um, which you know and her I think her. I can't remember exactly what her podcast episode was called, but it was something like, you know, real versus fake Pilates or you know, something like that. Do you recall the title? Something along the lines of, is it is Influor, Influencer Pilates Pilates? Something like right. that. Right. Okay. And so I guess, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, that's probably the, the direction that we want to, you know, we want to, we want to discuss that topic. I think she had some good things to say. I'd like to discuss uh, some of my thoughts on some of the things that she said. And I don't necessarily disagree with, with a lot of what she said. I, I'd like to offer perhaps what I consider a more nuanced uh, sort of take on it, but I'm not necessarily in disagreement. But um, yeah, so what is the topic of today's podcast in your view? What should we, what should we, what should we call it? Well, Okay. Um, I don't know if there's a, it, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to a topic, but I would, <laughs> but I would like, I would like, <laughs> I'd like to focus some of the discussion on who might be listening to her podcast and, and by who I, I mean, our students who are still trying mm-hmm. to figure out their own voice. They're still, they're still trying to figure out their place in the industry. And my sense is that if they were to hear her podcast or any any person's podcast or read a post or an article and they they are they find themselves questioning whether or not they're doing real pilates i think that can i don't want to use the word harm that's really dramatic but you know that i think that can shake their confidence and can make them second guess themselves. So really, when I was listening to that podcast, there were actually a lot of things that I didn't agree with. But I also feel like I know my place. I I know what I like. And I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I have my own mission that I feel very strongly about. But you know, we, 
we have what three cohorts right now and they're all still learning how to teach Pilates and where their place is in the industry. And I just thought, you know, if any of our students heard this, what would they make of it? Mm-hmm. So and, do we really yeah. do we need more imposter syndrome or less? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so I guess maybe I mean we can certainly talk about whether or not influencers are are doing real Pilates, but I also, I guess part of my question is, does it matter? Does real Pilates matter? Please define, please define real Pilates. Great. Uh, (laughs) um, And then, and then finally, please define real Pilates. What a great, what a great topic. Yeah. Please define real Pilates. And also, does it matter? And also finally, and this is something that I think, what really, um, what really stopped me for a while was something that you talk about all the time, which is, is Pilates actually your product? And, the, and what I came away from listening to that podcast is real Pilates, whatever that means to you, is only a thing if your product is Pilates. Yeah. Okay, great. Good, good episode. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what the topic of this episode is or what we're going to entitle it, but those are my thoughts. Mm. All right. Well, I, I agree with you. And I, I, you didn't use these words, but I, I, I think it's a, it's a false dichotomy. You know, what's real, what's, what's not real. I think uh, I really think about it as, you know, and I talked about this on the Agree episode, but like, you know, I mean, if you, if you think, okay, what is real Pilates? Well, is it, you know, how do you define it? Is it like, okay, what Joseph Pilates created? Well, in that case, classical Pilates is not real Pilates because that was an adaptation by various people of what Joseph created. So it wasn't actually what Joseph created. So, uh, you know, and now I'm not saying classical Pilates is not really real Pilates for a second, but, you know, it's like, well, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Um, Or what about like, you know, the way Joseph taught Contrology in the 1930s compared to the way he taught it in the 1960s, you know, which evolved, right? So which one of those was real Pilates? Right. Um, so, you know, so I just think it's kind of a meaningless question. Um, and, yeah, but I think in terms of like what is, you know, at some point, well, in, in, in that sense it's a meaningless question, but at some point, like if you look at something like, I don't know, um, step aerobics, right? I think pretty much everyone would agree that that's not Pilates. Yeah. You know? So at some point you cross a line and, you, and everyone would go, would agree, okay, yeah, this is not Pilates. <laughs> and at some other point in the other direction, if you look at, okay, someone teaching exactly in Joseph's method with the 34 original contrology exercises, exactly as Joseph did it, it's like most people would agree, okay, yes, that's Pilates. You know, but basically everywhere in between those two Endpoints is is a varying shades of grey of is this Pilates or not? Yeah. So I think it's a false dichotomy. I think uh, I think it's it's more of a continuum, and I think uh, or a pyramid, and I think people journey along that continuum from you know I, mean, I think we could consider it as as really mass market in one at one end to more niche boutique at the other end is that's one way of thinking about it 
Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that I, you know, I basically think it's a false, false dichotomy. Well, now I'm curious, how did Joseph Pilates teach Pilates in the thirties versus the sixties? Because I just, you know, I, in my mind, I see, I can see him doing and teaching Pilates, but it's all mm. just kind of like jerky movements and fast movements and lots of right. tactile cueing. Right. Well, I mean, I don't, you know, the, I don't, I'm not an expert on the evolution of Joseph's teaching style over, you know, decades, but I do know that the original patent that he registered for the reformer machine in the, in the late 1920s um, didn't have springs. It had a weight stack. You know, the reformer was, was raised up, you know, eight feet off the floor (laughs) and it had a weight stack. Right. Right. And and so this this was in John Howard Steele's book, uh, Caged Lion. Um, And, and so, you know, that's a pretty big change. Yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty big change. So I think, you know, so is that Pilates? And then the reformers with the springs, they're not real Pilates. No, I don't think anyone would agree with that. So, you know, so, you know, Presumably, and, and I've heard also stories from uh, people who've worked with the Pilates elders, you know, the people directly trained by Joseph, that he taught the same exercise differently to different people at different stages of his career. Like he, he taught it, you know, one way to, you know, somebody in the 1940s and taught it a different way to someone else in the 1960s. And who knows, you know, I don't know now whether that was because he'd evolved his thinking over the years or whether maybe he just taught everything differently to everyone and individualize yeah. it to each person. I don't know. So, but, you know, in either case, look, or what is the quote true, unquote, Pilates? It just becomes, I think, a meaningless question. Yeah. I just, I, I'm always a little bit annoyed and fascinated when people bring up the, that point at all. You know, that they take, there are people in the industry who take time to go onto social media or on a podcast to talk about real versus fake Pilates, you know, like why does that matter? And, and it almost, it feels like an accusation and you know, I just, it's not that I I sound so defensive, don't I? But it feels, it feels like an accusation because it's like, it's not like I'm opening up a Louis Vuitton store and then selling knockoff Louis Vuitton bags. You know what I mean? So it's just like, why does it matter if it's real Pilates or fake Pilates? But then I also, I always just circle back to what is your definition of real Pilates? Because oftentimes I find that the people who are saying you're not doing real Pilates, they're not doing real Pilates. I mean, I know what I saw in the footage of Joseph doing, Joseph Pilates doing Pilates and teaching Pilates. Nobody's doing Pilates like that. Nobody. It's it's just, we don't do that. Maybe Heath is. Maybe Heath is, maybe Adam is, but the people who are, the people who are, you know, upset about it or, or calling it out, they're not doing Joseph Pilates Pilates, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know uh, how the Pilates goddess does or teaches Pilates, so I don't want to pass any comment on that. But I think that, and and I I guess I want to come from, I come from more, a more, I guess I would say I'm a, a, a perspective where I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. There are two, I, th- I think there are two interpretations of, you know, why people have this conversation in the first place. And I think, you know, one angle, and I don't think they're mutually exclusive, you know, they can coexist. 
I think one is, and I guess I'd call this the un, the, the less generous or the more, let's say the more cynical view, <laughs> um, is that uh, it's really about protecting our patch and saying like, okay, we got here first, you know, we pissed on this tree and this is our tree and, you know, you can't come in, you newbies, you know, <laughs> like yeah. go find your own tree. Um, and, and, you know, every industry has that, you know, um, every industry that has credentialing has that. It's Credentialing is, in my view, in large part about insiders wanting to prevent outsiders from coming in and making a barrier to entry so that whoever's already in here has an advantage and whoever's, you know, trying to get in, it's harder. You know, like I yeah. know when, um, you know, Moira, uh, at the time Moira Stott, now Moira Merrithew, uh, learned Pilates from Ramana, there was no such thing as an official like training program or certification. It was just like, you just went across to Ramana's studio a couple of times a week and she taught you a few exercises and scribbled out some notes and photocopied them for you. And it's like, there was no actual credentialing, you know, yeah. it was just kind of a hand to, 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 to hand kind of apprenticeship type model. And now, and this is not a criticism, but now there's much more credentialing, right? If you don't have the, all the certifications oh. with the, letters after your name, it's like, we're well, not a legit Pilates instructor. But back in the day, that wasn't the case. And so it's got harder and harder and harder to get in, um, you know, and does that mean that the, the quality of Pilates instruction is better now than it was like 40 years ago? I, I think it's hard to make a really strong case that that's true. <laughs> so... I think, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I in general, I think that idea that you know, we want to just protect our in-group privilege. Thus, those of us who got in on the ground floor, you know, those of us who bought houses in this neighbourhood for, uh, you know, pennies on the dollar back in the 1960s, and now real estate's, you know, 50 x in its value, we want to right. stop all those, you know, trashy uh, outsiders from buying houses in and dropping, you know, turning this into a low-class neighbourhood, even though we only paid, you know, $20,000 for our mansion back in the day, you know? <laughs> right. yeah. So I think there's an element of that. And and that's not a criticism. Like, oh, I, you know, I have those same kind of instincts. Like, um, I think that's just normal as human, you know, um, uh, for us to, to, to have that. But I think also uh, probably I would say the, the more – I guess the more generous or the, the less cynical <laughs> interpretation is like a concern for safety. And the Players Goddess did express this. And there are a few points she made that I agree with actually sure. about, like she said, you know, well, people out there who are promoting like spot reduction, right? So do this inner thigh exercise to get a thigh gap uh -huh. or, you know, uh -huh. that, I mean, that is bullshit. <laughs> and there are, there, there are, it's true that there are uneducated or unscrupulous people out there with large followings on social media who are promoting just factually incorrect, you know, notions and, you know, potentially promoting body dysmorphia and, you know, all kinds of, you know, things that might, you know, potentially, you know, at the worst, at the, at the, at the best, waste someone's time trying to do something that's not possible. And at the worst, you know, cause some kind of you know, harm at some level. So I think, you know, there is an argument for uh, saying this is a, a good faith position to take and say, hey, look, no legit Pilates instructor would say, hey, if you do these inner thigh exercises, you'll get a thigh gap. 
Well, I hope no one <laughs> would <You> say that. <laughs> um, you know, and so maybe it's 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 you know to a certain extent, I think those things probably coexist. It's a bit about protecting the public, and it's a bit about protecting our own little you know patch. What do you think? Well, yeah, I I think those are really good points. Those are really fair points to make. I think maybe where I push back a little bit is, you know, the things about. Uh, the parts about safety. The other thing, so me personally, one of the issues that I have with um, Pilates influencers is this idea that Pilates is so glamorous and just for a specific, you know, there's a specific flavor when you see, uh, when you're on Instagram and you see these very thin, beautiful, young people doing Pilates and they're doing things like standing on a reformer, balancing a ball on their head. They've got a magic circle you know, like twirling a magic circle and like doing a, a front split. Like, right. I don't like that. I don't yeah. like that because I think number one, they're going to be people, you know, like my mom, for instance, who's going to take one look at that and say, well, I can never do Pilates. Right. Agreed. So I agree with those things, but I think that, that that's different. Like calling out certain things that are ridiculous is different than it, it, it's a straw man. It's different than like saying this isn't real Pilates because no, being thin, you know what I mean? Like You could it, do that. You could do that with real Pilates. Like you could take some yes. of the exercises from the original Contrology repertoire. Like, so let's take high bridge or head or something like that and go, okay, let's, or the ballet stretches. Let's do the full, you know, 200 degree split ballet stretches on the Cadillac. It's like, yeah, most people in the world aren't going to be able to achieve that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I mean. It's just like, yeah, there are fair points about safety. There are fair points about practicality and accessibility of, you know, your your own skills. But that doesn't exclude people in the Pilates, the real Pilates industry of doing stuff like that. I also know plenty yeah. of real, real Pilates instructors who have lots of, um, lots of opinions about things like, flared ribs <laughs> right. and knees over toes all the things that we're right. going to be talking about at some point you know like yes and that's shit that i don't like either it's like ah oh, come True. on can we get over it so so, so it's should like we maybe you know. address the address the behavior rather than the credentials <laughs> right right because here's the other thing too i you know joseph pilates one thing that is really apparent is that he was an innovator he was an inventor I cannot imagine him, if he came back to earth today and saw what he started, I think he would be so pleased. Yeah. He would take one look at Instagram and be like, holy shit, I wish I came up with that idea for the reformer. Yeah. I know he would. I just, he, he was an inventor. He and yeah. he really wanted Pilates to be famous, his method to be famous. So, well, a lot of his, um, you know, that great footage of, of Joseph teaching at Jacob's Pillow. Like he's teaching like stuff that's not part of the Contrology repertoire. Often, you know, he's jumping and rolling and punching and doing plies on the, on the mat. And it's like, he was obviously a great innovator. And, you know, he said explicitly the whole world should be doing my method. You know, I think he'd be freaking delighted you yeah. know, if he was to scroll through Instagram these days. Um, I want to uh, you talk about this idea of, you know, particularly, I think, you know, I, 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 I particularly want to talk about this idea of influences and, you know, by, by, by which I mean 
like just somebody with a largish social media following or some basically some kind of platform who is, you know, I guess influencing, you know, the the people's perception uh, of, you know, what Pilates is or, you know, getting people into Pilates potentially. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the ways I think about this is that there is a pyramid in any market, a pyramid of potential clients. And so, if, you know, if, if we think about the Pilates market, there are potential clients and they're at the top of the pyramid, there is a very small number of clients who are highly educated about Pilates. They know exactly, they know the difference between classical and contemporary. In fact, they've got, they've got, they, they've got like seven different flavors of classical Pilates they could distinguish between. And, you know, they'll have endless arguments online about, you know, the Jay Grimes method versus the, you know... <laughs> Um, the Ron Fletcher you know, method. Eve Gentry versus yeah. whatever, right? Right. And 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 so that they are the like the aficionados. They're people who I guess in marketing would call them like product aware, right? So they know about this product versus that product and they're, you know, they're they they'll be arguing about the fine details of of the differences. And then they're you know, in below that on the pyramid, I don't mean these people are worse or less good or anything, just like it's a pyramid, it's a visual representation. So sort of lower down the pyramid, there's a broader, you know, group of people who are uh, solution aware, right? By which I mean they've heard of this thing called Pilates, right? And they're aware that there's a thing called Pilates and it could re be really good for them, right? But they don't know the difference between classical Pilates, contemporary Pilates, fitness Pilates, you know, mega form. They think a mega former and a reformer are the same thing. You know, they don't. They think Pilates and yoga are the same thing potentially, right? Like these are the these are the people that are like, oh yeah, I tried Pilates on the Mega Former last week. It was awesome, you know. And and so they 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 haven't they don't have that intimate detailed knowledge that I haven't watched like ninety nine reviews of different Pilates styles and come up with you know nuanced opinions and all of that stuff. But they've they've heard about Pilates and they think it's pretty cool and they'd like to try it. You know, maybe they have tried it. Um, and then sort of. Lower down the pyramid, there's an even broader group of people who are what you would call problem aware, who don't know that there's a solution, right? They're feeling shitty and they've got a sore back and they've got low energy and they're cranky and they're walking around feeling, un, you know, all stiff and blah, blah, blah. But they don't know that there's this magical thing that they could do if they just got moving and did some stretching and some strength work, it's like they'd feel great, but they know that they've got a problem, right? And then there's an even bigger group of people, right, below that on the pyramid that have that problem, like they do feel cranky and they do have a sore back, but they don't even notice it because they just think that's the normal way life is, right? They don't even know that there's a, you could actually do something about that. <laughs> so there's this whole you know, pyramid and, you know, I think what we're talking about here when we talk about like what's real versus fake Pilates is we're talking about that, you know, that that shift between the people at the very, very top, you know, the product-aware people who are like really in all the Pilates forums and the people at the next layer down who are solution-aware and they like Pilates, but they don't really know the difference between megaformer Pilates versus, you know, Contrology versus whatever. And it's like, okay, as you sort of get more into it, you actually make that ascension a lot of time and you do become more of a connoisseur and you do learn the difference between you know this and that style of pilates etc but like to most of us you know driving down the road when we drive past a field of cows like all those cows look the same right and i wouldn't know if it's a hereford or a whatever other kind of cow there is right <laughs> but to a farmer right 
there's no way that they would be able to look at those cows and go, oh, there's 71 cows. I can't tell what sort they are. Like that, It's obvious to them what sort of cows they are. And for farmers who work directly with those specific cows, they would they would be able to tell the difference between oh this is you know, Daisy and this one is Buttercup. You know they know exactly which cow is. And Daisy's got a sore left rear foot, and Buttercup you know likes to moo when we put her into the milking thing or whatever. Like so, the the more intimate knowledge you have of that, the more the more you can distinguish between the fine details, right? But to someone driving down the highway, it's like they're all just freaking cows, man. I can't tell the difference, right? And to to and to a very distant observer, like maybe a young kid just learning about it. It's like, well, horses and cows, farm animals, they're all the same, you know. So, so it's like, why? Like, if if people are at that level of like, oh, I did a I did a Pilates workout on the Megaformer last week. It was awesome, right? Like, why would we discourage them? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't we say, oh, that's awesome? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you yeah, you make a really good point. There is a pyramid and at the very top there are Pilates nerds and connoisseurs who want to, you know, talk about the different kinds of reformers and whatnot. But those typically are not the people who we're trying to attract into our studios. Maybe, maybe we have clients who who come in for real Pilates, but they don't stay for real Pilates. They stay because their low back pain got better or because they met some friends or because it gets them out of the house and gives them an hour away from their kids. There, I, I don't know any person in the whole time that I've been teaching Pilates and doing Pilates who has left a studio or a practice because they weren't doing real Pilates which is my point to those listeners out there who are worried that they're not teaching real Pilates. It doesn't matter because most people don't stay because well, or leave because they're not doing real Pilates. They, they're, which goes back to my last point, which is it only matters if you're teaching real Pilates, if real Pilates is your product. Because we all know that if you are a live teacher wanting to teach live human beings, Pilates is not really your product. There's so many other things all the things below the top of your pyramid that you were talking about right i think uh you know to, to we can i think we can even take the metaphor a bit further and say like okay well if you go to a restaurant or to the butcher and you want you buy a steak right well okay you probably want to know whether it came from a cow or some other animal you know that's probably important to you but you know whether it came from a hereford or whatever other type of cow you know, most people <laughs> wouldn't care. You know, connoisseurs might say, oh, I prefer Angus or I prefer this or that, right? But the vast majority, people who buy, you know, burgers at McDonald's don't ask what sort of animal it came from, right? That most people, the you know, 99.9% of steaks that are sold, people wouldn't know or care, you know, what brand of cow it came from. And I think that's the same you know, with Pilates. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking and there was a thought. Uh, no, it, I'm, it's gone. <laughs> I also think like with the, you know, with the, the, you know, I think 
uh, with this kind of idea of a continuum, you know, moving away from the pyramid and going back maybe to the idea of a continuum, because I think there are different ways to think about this, that, you know, for people who are maybe introduced to the idea of Pilates through someone on social media, you know, maybe they follow someone and, and, uh, you know, uh, in Pilates Goddess didn't mention any, you know, people by name. So I'm not, this is not going on anything that she said, but you know, a couple of people I follow on social media, like, uh, Tiffany Cruikshank, I think is awesome. And she does, I mean, she's definitely a Pilates influence. I think, I think she'd be happy to be called a Pilates influence. She's does Pilates. All of her channel is about her doing Pilates and she's got like 200,000 followers or something. So <laughs> she's a Pilates influencer for sure. Um, and, you know, so I think she she introduces a lot of people to Pilates, is, is my guess, because a lot of people just scrolling through Instagram, they see her doing Pilates, they're like, oh, this is cool. You know, she's kind of got this quirky way that she presents, you know, she gives like a lot of pink and chiffon and candles and things. And, um, you know, she's got a, this quirky personality and she looks great, like she's very graceful and strong and, and all of that. Um, and she's kind of funny as well. She's got a really like quirky you know, personality in the way she presents her, her stuff. And so I think I'm that must be attractive to people. I mean, she's got 200,000 followers or something like that. So there must be people who have never heard of Pilates or have maybe vaguely heard of it but don't really know much about it who find her on the Explore page and go like, oh, this is really cool. And then they follow her. And through her, they get introduced to Pilates. And at that point, they don't know that there's such a thing as classical or contemporary or in, they don't know anything about that. But they're like, oh, this is fun. This is cool. I like this. And then maybe they get into it and they go to a class at their local studio, right? And right. at that point, they go, oh, this is a bit different to what Tiffany did on Instagram. And the person at the studio says, yeah, this is classical Pilates. And they go, oh, what's classical Pilates? And then they start they they've, they start to become more educated about Pilates. And then they start to have an opinion. Maybe they prefer classical Pilates. Maybe they don't prefer it. Maybe they shop around. They discover, oh, there's this also thing, this thing called contemporary Pilates. And they've tried try that and they become a connoisseur. And so inevitably... Now, some number of those 200,000-odd followers that Tiffany has are going to find their way into a Pilates studio and are going to become connoisseurs and are going to become like, oh, I just love classical Pilates, but I can't stand Romana's classical Pilates. I like Jay Grimes, you know, <laughs> classical Pilates. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I have a new client to me. She's done Pilates for a long time. She moved from, I think it was Michigan to Seattle and she started coming to our new client classes and she had taken Pilates, uh, I think she said at, a, at, her, at her local gym, her local YMCA. And one thing that she kept commenting on was that every time she would go to Pilates class, they would do the same routine. So it was the same seven exercises and it was very, very slow. And what I find really interesting whenever I have new clients to me is they'll often say, well, I don't want to be in this new client class because I've taken Pilates forever. And I will always say, can you just stay for a couple of classes just to kind of get to know my style and also just to get to know the machines that we use here in the studio? So she came in and she's like, I've done Pilates forever. I don't know if this is the right class for me. And I said, oh, stick around. You know, I think you're really going to enjoy yourself. I will make sure to teach to your level so that you feel challenged. And by the end of it, she was dying because I didn't teach her any of the seven exercises that she was used to. She had no idea the things that you could do with the reformer. And her response was like, 
I never knew that there were so many more Pilates exercises. And so she ended up staying in that beginner class for quite a long time just because, you know, I just kept showing her some new things. Um, And she really thought Pilates was just on the reformer, slow with seven exercises. That's, she came to Seattle thinking that was Pilates. And I think for her, learning that it was something different and something more was really uh, wonderful to her. It was beneficial to her. Whereas I do know some people, I've met people who really like the consistency of, you know, like the mat repertoire, all, what, 37 exercises. They like that. And I think there's something to be said about that too. Um, but yeah, I just feel yeah. like, I, I think for me, the the whole idea of, you know, just continuing to reinforce the idea that there is real Pilates and fake Pilates in general for the for just the general population is, I mean, it is, I think it is a form of gatekeeping and snobbery, but more than anything, it's like there's room for everybody at the table and we all have our own styles and our and the, our own ways to teach and there's just, there's room for everybody, you know? I would go beyond saying there's room for everybody. I'd say it, we make a bigger table yeah. when we add in more people to it. And so, again, going back to, you know, some of the influences like Tiffany Cruikshank, it's like, she's introducing people to Pilates who previously would never have found Pilates, right? So she's actually creating a bigger pie for everybody. Yeah. And so it's not like there's this finite number of clients and these evil influencers are stealing some of them from the genuine, you know, Pilates teachers. It's like, no, they're bringing their own people, right? It's BYO. Yeah. <laughs> they're bringing their own dinner, you know? And and, and inevitably there's going to be like an osmotic kind of exchange, you know, between, you know, pe- uh, you know, the influencers and the more traditional style Pilates, you know, studios, like some people who do traditional Pilates will find an influence online and go, oh, this is really freaking cool. I never knew you could do different stuff on the reformer. I've been doing the same 34 mat work exercises for three decades, right? And, and they'll be like, oh, this is super cool. I love it, right? And then, then there'll be people who find the online influences and then make their way into a local studio and like, oh my goodness, this is way better. I love this. This suits me better, right? And so there'll be, there'll be an osmotic kind of, you know, filtration in both directions. But inevitably, because the, 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 the influence of the world. Now, there are people out there, the players influences with millions of followers. And, you know, there's no, you know, like in quotes, you know, legit Pilates instructor <laughs> studio that's got like 2 million clients, right? So just by the the law of statistical probability, there's going to be more movement from the person with 2 million followers to the studio with 100 clients than there is from the studio with 100 clients to the person with 2 million followers, right? It's just, just because there's more people in one to start with, they're going to migrate to the other. So even if 1% of those 2 million followers <laughs> – end up wandering off and finding something that's more, you know, traditionally, you know, thought of as Pilates, like that's a very large number of people. Whereas if even if 10% of those hundred people in that studio go and, you know, take up fitness Pilates or influencer Pilates or whatever, it's like, that's still a very small number. So overall, it will bring more people into the traditional Pilates setting rather than taking them away. Like I just see it's like it's a tide that lifts all boats. Yeah. I've oh, mixed so many metaphors in there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I talk a little bit about 
the things that, um, oh, I don't know how to say it in a positive way. The things that I find annoying, the things maybe you find annoying about influencer Pilates. I brought up a few of them, like too many props. There's a, there's a trend going on with too many props. I don't like it. Um, also there's a, what, what's another, I have a whole list of them. Um, so much standing Pilates where it's just like, I look at that and I think that is such a balance challenge for some people. And that's, that's the thing for me. If I had to name my, my number one kind of like thing that I, I I think could be better. I don't know if it annoys me, but it is, is I think we over challenge balance and coordination and we under load people. A lot oh, in Pilates. 100%. I think we take a basic exercise like, you know, footwork or arms in straps or something like that, and we make it harder, you know, and what I, and I'm just going by what I see on Instagram, but, you know, nine times out of 10, what I see is people make it harder by increasing the instability or the, you know, making people balance a fitness circle on their head or something rather than just adding more load. You know, keep it simple, keep it basic. Do you want to give our listeners who may not know some free advice about how to actually get people stronger? And that doesn't include using a BOSA ball on a reformer. Because I think I know it, you know it, right? Like we have the curse of knowledge. Like we know that if we wanted to make people stronger, you get them lower to the ground and not have balance challenges. But maybe you want to talk a little bit about some basic strengthening principles. Because I do think some people maybe actually think that the, the way to make somebody stronger is to stand up on the bed. Okay, yeah, good point. And thanks for um, pointing out that blind spot, the curse of knowledge, which is, the, and the curse of knowledge, dear listener, is when you know something, it's really hard to remember what it's like to not know it. And it just seems so obvious and self-evident to you once you know a thing. It's like, well, of course that, of course that's true. Everybody knows, you know, that must be totally obvious. But the, of course, the thing is, it's not obvious when you don't know it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so that's the curse of knowledge is you just assume that it's obvious to everyone where in reality, of course, it's not, you know, most things are not obvious. <laughs> um, so, and, and this is one of those things. So, uh, strength and control in Pilates, we, t- you know, in at breathe, we talk about the three physical capacities we can improve with Pilates, which are strength, range of motion and control. And so strength is the ability to exert force. Range of motion is how far you can move your limbs through space or your spine through space. And control is sort of comprised of proprioception, you know, your, your sense of your positional sense of where you are in space, balance, coordination, you know, body awareness, all of these things, you know, um, fine motor skill, agility, all of those things. Control is really the skill element of, of, of movement. So there's strength, range of motion and control. Now, all of those things are valuable. All of those things are important, you know, it's not the case that control is not important. Control is important, uh, but so is so is strength. And so strength, uh, the way you improve strength is you subject muscles to high levels of tension. High levels of mechanical tension is a stimulus for strength. And the way you get more tension on a muscle is you add more load. Adding more load means adding more weight or adding more springs or, you know, adding more, uh, you know, increasing the angle to gravity lengthening a lever, you know, so for example, you know, going from kneeling push-ups to full push-ups, lengthens a lever, adds more load to the shoulders. Uh, you know, in footwork on the reformer, adding more springs, adds more load onto the leg muscles. Uh, so this, these are all ways of increasing load, going from a bodyweight squat to a bodyweight lunge, 
now you're lifting your same body weight with half as many legs. So there's more load on those muscles. So these are all ways of increasing the load or increasing the tension on those muscle fibers. And all of those will stimulate more strengthening because you're adding more load. Now, when we add instability, so if we do that push-up on a BOSU, right, and instead of going, going from kneeling push-up on the floor to a full push-up on the floor, we go from a kneeling push-up on the floor to a kneeling push-up on a BOSU, it is harder. But it's not harder because we've added more load. In fact, there's less load because actually with your hands on a BOSU, you're at a more angle, you're, more, you're closer to vertical. Your body is much closer to vertical. More of your weight is actually on your knees there. There's less load on the shoulder girdle. But it is harder because it's, it's more unstable. You have to balance. And in order to balance, there's more of a challenge to control. You have to coordinate yourself better. And also, uh, the main strategy that people use, uh, or part of the main strategy that people use to balance is to co-contract all of the muscles around the joints that they're working on. So the muscles around your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder, your scapula, your thoracic, they will all co-contract. And what that means is the muscles on both sides of the joint contract. So the flexors and the extensors contract. The internal rotators and the external rotators both contract. The abductors and the adductors both contract. And so when you're basically like you're bracing each of those joints, it part of that strategy is you reduce the contract the contraction of the prime mover muscles right so if your you know main muscles in a push-up are your triceps and your pecs let's say okay now you know we could add a few more and get into fine detail but let's just say triceps and pecs and maybe deltoids for now okay well basically the more you can recruit those triceps pecs and deltoids and place them under load the, the more strength stimulus there is right so whereas when you co-contract the biceps and the rhomboids and the you know, all of those other muscles around the shoulder joint and the elbow joint, whatever, you actually, what you do is you down-regulate the, the triceps and the pecs and the, the, the anterior deltoids so that you can maintain your balance. So it makes it easier to control, right? I mean, we all would intuitively know that it's, it would be easier to walk across like a narrow, you know, rope bridge or something at a slow speed than sprinting flat out. Right, and so when we move with less forcefulness and less explosiveness, it's easier to control. So when we introduce a control challenge instinctively, and as part of being able to control it, people move more slowly with less force output. So you actually, when you do a push up on a bosu or a squat on a bosu or a lunge on a bosu or do your arm work standing on a moving reformer carriage or you know whatever instability you add, what you're essentially doing is you're increasing the control challenge. And at the same time, probably decreasing the strength stimulus, which is not inherently a bad thing because control is valuable, right? But if if the vast majority of the time we're progressing people by by adding control challenge rather than adding strength challenge, then we're going to have clients that are very coordinated but not very strong at the end of that process. Right. Well, and if your intention as the teacher is to get somebody stronger then you need to pick one, right? So, and the, and the right. one you're picking is is load versus control. Well, the best, I mean, the you know, this is a very very uncontroversial thing to say in in this field of exercise and sports science. the The best way to increase strength is extremely simple, stable movements with lots of load. Yeah. Right. Think squats with a barbell. Right. Or, you know, bench press. 
Right. <laughs> right. Deadlifts. Yeah. Well, and this is the main reason why we don't see people like, you know, Olympic weightlifters. They're not lifting heavy weights with roller skates on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That would be an interesting be Olympic fun. event, wouldn't it? The roller skating Olympic weightlifting. <laughs> Olympic yeah. weightlifting on ice. <laughs> yeah. Actually, just to digress for a moment, I went and saw Cirque du Soleil with my family a few weeks back, and they've their most recent show is on ice. The whole show um, is on ice. And it's just, I mean, Cirque du Soleil, they're just like these unreal, like just jaw-droppingly oh my freaking goodness, is it possible for humans to do that, right? Right. And they're doing stuff that for an elite, you know, acrobat on dry land would be like incredibly difficult, but they're doing it on freaking ice skates, you know, like four people, you know, standing on each other's shoulders, catching someone off a trapeze sort of thing, like on freaking ice skates. (laughs) That is really incredible. Wow. Yeah, I don't. I didn't realize, I did see on Instagram, somebody that I follow in Australia did go to Cirque du Soleil and um, I didn't notice that they were on ice, but that's it's, that's even more hardcore than all the other stuff I've seen with Cirque du Soleil. It was just like f- flabbergasting. You know, I was just sitting there with my jaw on my lap basically for two and a half hours going, oh my goodness, this is just inconceivable. Like... And there were like one or two very minor mistakes, like a couple of times after they, you know, jumped off this thing and did triple backflip and landed on one leg, they kind of like stumbled a little bit, you know, sort of thing, (laughs) but then immediately caught it and kept going, you know, but they were just like, just to show that they were actually human, but just a virtually flawless two and a half hour, just tour de force of virtually unbelievable exploits. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just amazing. If you ever get the chance to go see Cirque du Soleil, any performance, I've seen them a couple of times now, please do yourself a favor. You'll just walk out of there going, holy crap, <laughs> what the human body is capable yeah. of is just astonishing. Anyway, I think, sorry. Yeah, no, I, if you are a Pilates practitioner or a Pilates teacher, if you're a movement professional, I think those kinds of things are just, like heroin. You can't stop watching that. It's really, really cool to see what the human body can do. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And just like the, you know, knowing how hard it is to do the freaking hundred well. Right. You know, and then watching somebody like do a one-handed handstand balanced on someone else's head and the person on whose head they're balancing on is ice skating at a really good clip right around this circular rink, right? And then backflip off and then land on one leg going backwards. It's like, you just think like, just, it's inconceivable the number of thousands of hours of practice that must have gone into just that, you know, 15 second trick. For sure. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, where were we? (laughs) (laughs) Where were we? Oh, we were talking about um, your pet peeves with influencers and standing on the bed. Yeah. So, all right. So for me, it's, uh, it's, and, and I've got no problem with, with control. Like I think it's important to challenge balance. It's important to challenge coordination, proprioception, all of those things. I'm, I'm for doing that. I, where I, where I have a peeve with it is I think we do it too much and we don't do strengthening enough. And by strengthening, I mean, 
adding more and more load to really simple, stable movements. Uh, yeah, what's what's what would you say is your your biggest one? You, is it the props? The props are definitely up there. I won't spend too much time on it because I know that you and Kyle did a did a whole episode on all. Oh, you can the, pile the, on. You can pile on. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I I I agree. I think I think simple is better. Um, I you know, and the thing with props too is just like I like to use props for myself for my pleasure. So if I if I'm doing a mat class or or a reformer class, but it's typically mat that I'll introduce a prop. Um, I will say to my clients, we're, you know, we're going to use the circle today just for my amusement. It's not special, but it's just, it's nice to mix things up a little bit, but then too many props. I think, I think, you know, too much of something is too much sometimes. And a lot of the trend right now on Instagram that I continue to see apart from the huge balance challenges that a lot of people are recording of themselves is uh, overuse, uh, not overuse of props. Too many props, I think, is is how is is my is my pet peeve. I don't like that. Um, mm. And and luckily, I work with clients who are not asking me, you know, like to haul out all of the props. I personally, my my style of Pilates is I like to do one thing. So I will try to do a whole class on one spring setting. If I'm going to take the box out, I'm going to use the box for the whole class. If we're going to use straps, I'm going to try to use straps for the whole class. That's that's my challenge because I just like to keep it simple. Because I think the other thing too is like, if you're ever in the business to try to get people to move meaningfully for 50 minutes, it's just better to be simple. To try to yeah, keep it's easier for you as a teacher. It's easier for the clients. Yeah takes yeah. a lot of pressure off making making up you know endless variations of exercises yeah um wh- where do you stand or sit on um kind of, sort of that sort of virtuosic and i'm not saying that in pejorative sense i mean like people who genuinely have virtuosic levels of say flexibility grace whatever so you know i'm thinking about the not necessarily just people just showing beautiful moves per se because to me, that's kind of almost like a dance performance. You know, there's kind of like the line blurs there. But yeah. I'm, I'm talking about, I guess what I'm thinking about is when I see somebody and they go like, oh, here's this, you know, simple, three simple exercises to improve your hip mobility. And then I said, like, I can't even get into the start position of any of those. Yeah. You know. <laughs> How do I feel about that? Um, yeah. I feel, I, I feel like there's, if, if people who do that, they're either um, not good teachers, can I say that? Or they haven't quite defined who their audience is. Or maybe we know that their audience is just other Pilates instructors that they're trying to flex for, right? Because I always go back to, um, you know, what is, if, you, if you're running a business and if you're a social media influencer and we'll just, just narrow it down to Pilates, who are you doing this for? Because if you're doing this for the general population, I don't think you're serving the industry very well because there most people don't have the kind of superhuman Cirque du Soleil flexibility and strength. And and I keep going back to, you know, the people who I work with who would never even set foot in a Pilates studio if that was what their idea of Pilates is. So my preference is to gravitate towards people who are really keeping it real. And I mean, 
having diversity in the industry, having different shapes of bodies, having different styles. Yeah. Um, there's this, oh gosh, I'm going to forget her name. She's a yoga influencer. I follow her on Instagram. I think her name is Alexandria Crow. I think that's right. And she is, she used to be a yoga model. You, you'd see pictures of her in yoga magazines and she is incredibly flexible and her poses are just gorgeous. But she's become really self-critical and putting up photos of herself saying, this, is, this doesn't help our industry be accessible to, uh, to people who are going to look at that and say, well, yoga is not for me because I can't get my ankle behind my ear. Um, and I, I, you know, whether or not I'm right or wrong, that's just the, the way that I feel about it too, is if, if you're going to provide, uh, if you say that he, uh, you want to give out a progression for an exercise and it's for everybody, make it for everybody. You have to be able, and that's the curse of knowledge, right? You got to be able to break your own curse of knowledge. And we do this a lot at Breathe where we have our students really think critically about looking at an exercise and breaking it up into meaningful pieces. And the first thing that you offer them is something that you feel incredibly confident that every single person in an open level class can do. That's always the goal. I, you know, I make no secret about that is my value. That's how I feel like movement should be taught. Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, I, 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 I think there's, I think it's important and this is not what you did. Uh, I'm just, I'm just kind of just going off on a slight, you know, build on what you, what you said, that I think it's important that we don't sort of go running from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat and go from like, okay, things should be accessible or, you know, and then therefore we shouldn't start shaming people who happen to be really flexible, strong, graceful. It's like, good for you, buddy. Like, that's yeah. awesome, you know. And I think it's, it is inspiring to a lot of people to see, like, what's possible. Like, when I watch Cirque du Soleil, I'm not like, oh, crap, I'll never be that good. I never will be that good, but I'm like, this is inspiring. You know, this right. is really, this, this would like, if, if you were a young kid watching this, you'd, you'd be like, I'm, I'm going to gymnastics class first thing tomorrow, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think it's a good thing, you know, when we see people who are just really fucking awesome at what they do, you know, yeah. like I respect people who've put in the years, can do the splits, can do the handstands, all of that stuff. It's amazing. And I think the world, you know, needs that but i think you know like you say uh, th there's a there's kind of a nuanced perspective to it of when you're when is it a performance which and there's nothing wrong with with it being a performance you know sector soleil is a performance um and when is it when is it a lesson or a you know information for people's consumption about how to you know improve their own flexibility or strength or whatever in which case if it is that, it needs to be like, okay, who's it for? And it's like, okay, well, if you're like a third-year ballet student and you want to improve your mobility, it probably is a different lesson than if you're a 76-year-old arthritic, you know, overweight, <laughs> sedentary person who wants to improve your mobility, you know. So we probably need a different level of, of challenge <laughs> and different starting positions. <laughs> You know, so for the ballet person, be like, okay, start in your splits. Now rotate your hips to the left or whatever. 
Whereas, you know, for the other person, it might be like, okay, this is going to be your 20-year journey to doing a split, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just think it's good business sense to um, to be thoughtful about what you put out there if your goal is to attract clients. Uh, so, mm. you know, like when we're talking about here showing exercises that will likely be un- unrealistic for a client. Or, for instance, saying to a potential client, well, what you were just doing is not real Pilates. You know, if we think about the physical activity guidelines and who is achieving the physical activity guidelines, in my mind, before I'm even a Pilates instructor, I'm somebody who's trying to influence other people to move. Just move. It doesn't matter if you're doing Legree or if you're doing classical Pilates or if you're doing contemporary Pilates or... Or, Anything or like even that. if you're balancing a fitness circle on your nose on the reformer yes. box with a strap in one hand. That's right. While standing on one leg facing the police. Yeah. At the end of the day, if we can get people to move and want to come back, that's what I would like to be able to see, to get as many people moving as possible. I think if you're in the industry, that should be everybody's mission, is you're just trying to get mm. people to move. Um, so all of this, like infighting and like tribalism is just i think it's silly but i also think it's silly to have so many props at one go like i don't i do not like that well all right so so are we going to come to can we come to rest then on a on a, a slightly paradoxical position where we say like okay we do each have our personal viewpoints and our preferences and our ideas of what is more beneficial right? Yeah. Some of us like to use all of the props and some of us think that's kind of silly, right? Uh, And at the same time, can we, can we avoid the situation from the life of Brian where it's like the only things that the Judean people's front hate more than the Romans is the people's front of Judea, you know, (laughs) (laughs) where, you know, ostensibly we're, 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 we're fighting for exactly the same thing, but the only thing we hate worse than our enemies are the people who are you know, standing next to us, <laughs> doing you know, fighting, fighting for the same thing. It's like, well, you know, from from that person driving past the field, all we're all Pilates cows. We all look the same to them. Like they can't tell the difference. Right? <laughs> so it's like if if we're going, oh no, this you know cow, brand of cow is better or worse or what? If like they 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 don't even understand the the words that we're saying. You know, it's just such a meaningless and trivial difference to the vast majority of humanity. They don't even know the difference between Pilates and freaking yoga. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Well, I mean, I feel like Pilates is like improv. It's always yes and, you know, it's yes and. Like there's room for everybody. You can do your own thing. If you want to do real Pilates, go find a real Pilates instructor and do real Pilates. If you are doing or teaching something that doesn't fit into the category of someone else's definition of real Pilates and you love it, please keep doing that. And just you do you. Mm. We're, yes, we're all Pilates cows. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the name of the episode? <laughs> I think it would be such great clickbait. If you name the episode that, people are going to click on it simply because... They are going to be like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I'm going to um, say yes, and I don't think that would be clickbait. 
because I think clickbait is where you say, hey, free sex and a million dollars. And then it's like, you read the article, it's like, nowhere do you get free sex or a million dollars. Like, it's just a lie, basically. Whereas I'd say we're all Pilates cows. Well, that is actually from the content, you know, of this episode. But sure, it's putting the best possible, most intriguing spin on it. It is totally think, clickbait because yeah. all the all of your listeners are going to see this. They're going to look at the title and totally click on it because they're going to want to know what in the world are they t- like? This is a new topic. This is a totally new <laughs> thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think we've uh, adequately covered the topic. I'm not sure if we've come to a, a great uh, definitive conclusion about what real Pilates is or not, but I think we've we've arrived in, at a place where we said well, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and, that's, um, that's all, the conclusion. We're all here to help people get moving. And uh, any microscopic differences between this or that particular style of Pilates, uh, like when you zoom out until you can see the Milky Way, they're just beyond insignificant. Yeah. Well, and if if you meet up with Pilates instructors who are telling you that you can't sit at their lunch table because you're not doing real Pilates, then you can come sit with us. Yeah. And if, you know, and again, not saying this is what uh, Pilates Goddess was saying, but, you know, if there is anyone that won't let you sit at their lunch table, it's like, well, they're the mean girls. Do you really want to sit with them? Yeah. Come sit with us. Yeah. Thanks. Good talk. Good talk. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing, and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.